Hello there, everyone. Can you tell that I'm using my <laughs> fake teacher voice when I say that? Because I am still in school. We have a little over two weeks left. And it seems like the perfect time for our uh, Keeping It Real segment to focus on something that's related. And that is the Sunday Night Blues. And quite honestly, blues doesn't exactly encapsulate it, for me at least, because really, I'm going to say it sometimes approaches a light dread. Now, better teachers and humans than I are totally fine with Sunday nights and Monday mornings during the school year. But listen, I'm not that person. (laughs) I often talk about what I call the Sunday night gong of dread. It seems to strike right around... I don't know, anywhere from like six to seven o'clock at night when I feel that pull of, should I check my lesson plans? What's happening tomorrow? I often think about how I go from feeling like I have the whole world in front of me on a Saturday night to feeling like things are starting to look kind of bleak and depressing by the time the gong strikes. And I have to ask, why can't I be one of those sunshiny people who always sees the bright side? I don't think I'm like infinitely negative, but certainly I lean that way. Did you ever see that Looney Tune, Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog? I have such strong memories of that from my childhood. There are a couple of regular guys with jobs. One of them protects the sheep, the other tries to steal them. (laughs) And they'd like arrive at work holding their lunch pails, blandly kind of say to each other, hey, hey, Sam, hey, Ralph. They'd punch the time clock And then pretty quickly, everything was on in the most intense and ridiculous ways. And then at the end of the day, they'd punch out. At least that's my memory of it. For some reason, that often comes to mind at the beginning and the end of every school year. As Labor Day approaches, I begin to kind of get sad, though I'm happy to say it's not nearly as bad as it was in the first decade of my career, like toward the end of August. Now I'm more resigned to the fact that the school year is starting and great things are going to happen. But anyway, ideally, I'm ready to punch that clock and start sparring with Mondays. And then as the school year starts almost every week, like clockwork, Sunday nights, into Mondays are just tough. Sometimes they're not as tough as others. And sometimes like yesterday, because I'm recording this on a Tuesday, my alarm clock went off and I just was not a happy camper. (laughs) But then the summer comes and it's the complete opposite. It's like I'm almost gleeful when it's Sunday night. I'm rejoicing and I feel like I'm kind of cheating the world because I don't have to wake up and go to work on Monday morning. Um, What's funny is I do a lot of teaching during the summer And there's just something about the fact that it's the summer, even if I have to wake up early and it's a Monday morning, I kind of say, well, this is just, you know, for a couple of days and then I'm going to get to sleep in and have summertime. But anyway, in the summer, ultimately knowing that we're in an eight week truce period helps me get through it. And then once again, it's time to punch that clock in September. Seriously, what's wrong with me? All right, rant over. Let's get on with it. Our guest today is our main man and resident genius, John Feyerabend. Earlier, when we were recording one of our earlier episodes in the Non-Negotiables series, John brought up something that I honestly had not heard him say before, and that was no part singing until third grade. Uh, We talked about that developmentally and neurologically, 
And it was kind of new to me to hear him articulated in that way. And because I myself have had struggles in this area, when sometimes trying to get my second graders to sing rounds or sing in canon, I'll admit I selfishly wanted to hear him elaborate on the topic. And in this episode, he does just that. And I learned a ton. So let's listen. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with this guy named Dr. John Feyerabend. Hello, Dr. Feyerabend. Oh, it's nice to be here. It's nice to have you here. In one of our podcasts about the Feyerabend, what we call non-negotiables, we briefly discussed the challenges of getting young students, elementary students, to sing in canon. I think, and I believe you would agree with this, that many of us have attempted it too soon. I know I have, and kind of been discouraged with the results. Can you talk about why those who are starting off in the conversational solfege years, which means after the kids have become tuneful, beautiful, and artful, and then they're starting to learn about independent musical thinking and notation, why those who might try canon singing at the same time, like right away, might hit some speed bumps, mm. uh, and what mm-hmm. you think has to be in place beforehand for kids to be able to successfully execute that type of singing? Wow. Uh, there's a lot to be thought about here, and I did make up a non-negotiable, which is not based on any science. It's based on an opinion, so I offer it, and maybe others will find out that they could start earlier or later. Sure. But I'll throw this out because it, it, it's, a, it's a good general non-negotiable. And that is, I normally say, no part singing before third grade. Well, when I say that, I have certain things in my mind. I'm assuming that a child has had first steps in music in kindergarten and first grade. So with that kind of background, by the time they're in second grade, they're usually pretty secure. I suggest you don't start conversational solfege until at least 90% of the students are singing in tune. So a year of that kind of good singing in unison in second grade is a good idea before you try part singing. As Helen Kemp used to say to me, John, it's much more important for children to sing beautifully in tune than badly in parts. And, you know, I, I always thought, part singing, i got to get the kids ready for the concert, and we've got to yes. do a piece, of th- and they'll sing in thirds, and they'll sing in parts, and, they'll do, and I'll show them that they've gotten to the stage that they can sing in parts. But people should accept that a choir, a fifth and sixth grade choir, singing a song in unison beautifully is very appealing to an audience mm-hmm. and to the students and to everybody. Uh, the whole The whole drive to get to part singing is usually started too soon. Sure. Because people want to get their kids to the stage of doing that. And so they'll have someone say to me, oh, I have my kindergarten children sing Row, 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 Your Boat is Around. And I'll say, no, you don't. <laughs> you might have them shouting out the words in rhythm. Like if you I, recorded it and listened closely, yeah, it would probably would, be frightening. I think there's not a lot of tune going <laughs> right, on right, in right. those part in that part singing. So what's the rush, I guess, is the punchline to this. What's the rush? And can I, I, I want to say something because I'll never forget wasn't that long ago, maybe six or seven years ago, I had somebody visit and come to see one of my concerts with my fourth grade choir. I was very proud of how they sounded. And this person who is a musician was like, but what a shame. They would sing so beautifully in harmony. And I remember that kind of stuck with me like it does when Mm. somebody kind of critiques you. It's one thing if a you know, an admin says something and they don't really know. But I kind of was like, am I shortchanging the kids? Like, what have I done? But I remember just saying, you know what? I'm thankful that my kids sounded in tune, 
they sang properly, they sounded lovely, and they were successful. I don't know that they could have been that way if I had tried to kind of force this part singing on them too soon. Now this was, I was newer in the program. So I, even though they were in fourth grade, I was like, I just wanna give them a successful concert. So anyway, I think we hear a lot about band teachers and orchestra teachers under a lot of pressure for performance things and that kind of thing. But the generalist who does choral is also kind of under this kind of pressure as evidenced by this person saying to me, oh, what a shame. Like you're shortchanging these kids. Well, I'm not sure you're shortchanging them. And I know it's a common perception. Actually, there are some easier part singing experiences sure. that they could experience prior to rounds and canons if you want to start moving in that direction. And those are performable and audiences would appreciate them as much as any other harmonic presentation, but they're much more appropriate for sure. elementary school kids that have not had much uh, harmonic singing experience. And you know, I gave you the scenario that third grade is my non-negotiable, assuming they've had this background. Right. So I wouldn't attempt part singing until fourth or fifth grade if they didn't have kindergarten music, or if you only started first steps last year yeah, with them. It's all relative or, or, to where or. they started. I think, again, even for part singing, um, it isn't so much that they should even, conversational solfege is not a prerequisite. I only use it by the grade, because if you've done first steps in kindergarten, first grade, then you would naturally do conversational starting in second grade, and then you could add part singing in third grade. But if you have students that are taking longer to get to the tuneful, beatful, artful objective of first steps in music, and now they're in fourth grade before they 90% accomplish that, then start part singing in fourth grade. You don't need literacy to do part singing. Right. You only need to be tuneful. So working on, on tuneful, and when you feel 90% of your students are singing in tune, all right, then maybe begin some of the early part singing experiences, which we can talk about. Yeah, let, let's talk about this. I mean, um, and, but I did want to ask you, was there ever a point at which you thought um, singing in rounds or canons was appropriate earlier, or did, have you always felt this way? No, I did try. I tried rounds and canons in second and third grade that crashed and burned, and it would take so long. Yeah. I do have a, when you get to rounds and canons, we'll talk a little bit later in this podcast, I have a procedure that I think right. helps make the teaching of rounds and canons more successful. Um, but I think there are other easier harmonic experiences the children can have prior to rounds and sure. canons. And for people who struggle with this, I think there are a lot of people, could you talk about the difference between a round and a canon? Well, it's controversial. Yes, Some, it is, isn't it? For many people, there is no difference. A canon is an older word for a round. However, in the theoretical world, if I were talking to a music theory teacher at a college, they would have a very different opinion. A canon is simply any canonic composition. And it doesn't have to be a pure canon. It can be something that starts off and there's imitation in the music. I'm thinking uh, canzonas that were written by Gabrielli. They were canons but they weren't canons that were perfect. The second part didn't exactly have all the same notes as the first right. part. You had to modify the second part so there would be harmonic things that worked, but they were still called canons. And then there were the canons that were uh, ostinatos. Uh, those canons were, um, Pachelbel's canon is an ah, example. I've heard of it. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it actually, while you're hearing that ostinato on the bottom, it isn't the ostinato that makes it a canon. That, that ostinato in the bass is called a ground. So yes, Pachelbel's canon is really a ground uh, with parts over it. But if you listen, there are imitative sections in the other instruments over right. the ground that give the impression Oof. of imitation, 
hence a canon. Right. Because it has imitation, even though they're not exact imitations. Exactly. It's so, turning into a theory lesson. And another uh, word you see in the definitions and the differences between rounds and canons is they often have said that rounds end on a chord. And I like to do that when I'm doing yes. that kind of part singing, uh, that the students don't end one at a time, but they all end together making a full harmonic chord. For some people, that makes it a canon. Because in canonic writing and college theory, even though it's imitative and the second part might not be exactly, it still would end at the guess, same right, time. Right. And that's another place where you would have to modify um, the the second part or the third part and fourth part because you want them to end at the same time and as the first part is ending you're going to have to modify the tune of the second third or fourth part so they end sooner and make a nice harmonic chord so I had a couple of semesters of counterpoint and in counterpoint we study canonic writing and that is the kind of thing that you have to learn in counterpoint how to modify the other parts where you can get a harmonic lineup okay Around is simply a song that is uh, starting at different times. I don't think rounds have as many different meanings. I think there's simply one meaning for a round. But I wouldn't say that rounds end at different times, and that's a common perception. Well, rounds end at different times, but canons all end together. Well, I think there are rounds that all end together. Uh, oh, yeah, it, you know, if you end, like what, the way I usually do them is I have one part end at the end of the song, one part end two-thirds of the way through, and one part end one-third of the way through. So there were no modifications in any of the melodies. So it's still a round, but it's ending, but it's on ending a in a harmonic chord. Okay. Or if I do row, row, your, row, 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 your boat, and this group stops first, and then this group stops first, that's also a round. But it's a round where it doesn't end oh on harmony. Gosh. So maybe my approach is um, the best approach, which is I just call them both. That's what I do. <laughs> I call them rounds and cannons. <laughs> All right. So here's my next question, always trying to kind of bottom line things. What can an elementary teacher do? to build up having kids eventually sing in canon? Mm -hmm. And about what ages should they start if their kids are, let's assume, tuneful, beatful, and artful around the end of first grade? How would you, you know, even if you're not doing anything in second grade, but you've started Conversational Soulfish, what things could they be doing? Mm -hmm. And how does it look different than first steps? For example, you were saying in second grade, having them sing in unison, is it just that they're singing more difficult songs, longer songs, but still in unison well sure if they're just doing the eight-part curriculum it just means they're doing any material that the teacher feels is appropriate for bead or for call and response or for no but i'm talking about let's say they're done first steps and they're tuneful beautiful and artful and it's second grade yes but in second grade if they are now starting conversational solfege which we know is only the literacy part right. of the lesson during the doing part of the lesson is when we would start putting in the rounds and canons. So during the doing part, I would continue learning nice songs. Well, that's what I was saying. So you're, you're doing unison songs in second grade, but maybe they're a little bit more challenging. It's up to the teacher. Okay. I, I, I don't know. So there's no... There's no, there's um, no it's whatever the students developmentally it's <laughs> developmental right. not chronological right so whatever one second grade class might be developmentally ready to do more sophisticated longer songs and others may not i guess what i'm saying is i'm putting this date on here because let's pretend like this happened the end of first grade my kids are you know 90 percent of my kids are tuneful beautiful and artful i get there in second grade we do a couple of lessons of first steps like things, and then I say, I'm going to start teaching conversational solfege. And now I'm moving to the kind of tripod approach where there is conversational solfege, doing music, learning about music. 
Um, are you saying, well, if they're tuneful, beautiful, and artful, then start part singing no matter what you, but you're saying. I think it wouldn't hurt to wait another year. Absolutely. I agree. I just wanted to make sure that's what you were saying. What's happening in second grade isn't just the cognitive function of tune so that they're singing beautifully in unison, but it's also the maturing of their vocal instrument, their breath support, um, their musical memory. There's a lot of other things still developing in a poor little seven-year-old brain that they don't (laughs) need to be thrown part singing. Sure. Can it be done? Sure. Have I done it? Yes. I guess I would choose my very, very earliest, simplest kind of part singing, although I would rather wait till third grade to do it. Here's why. The students in second grade, it's it's like, should the learning be effortful or effortless? Mm. And you know my thing is about effortless learning. And I can do it in second grade, but it's going to take effort on their part. If I wait till third grade... What have I lost? Exactly. Nothing. Yeah. And it's going to be effortless. Right. And you've gained a year of them further developing, further cementing their tuneful foundation. You know what else I'm working on in second grade? Independence. Yeah. So while I'm working on unison, I'm working on can you do this yourself? Because part singing requires you to be independent of other voices. Yes. So let's continue working on beautiful singing and independence right. in second grade. And then you can, there's a whole lifetime to add harmony. Yeah. And then in third grade, start the simplest ones first. If you want to go ahead and say, I think that's the most amazing second grade class I've ever had and they're ready for this. Sure. Then do it. Developmentally, you feel they're ready to start. And I think I was just wanting to make sure you weren't saying, okay, if they're tuneful, beautiful, and artful, go ahead and start. Now, I still think they could use another year of growing up. And it reminds me of your analogy about the corn in May. Mm. And I think that is one of, you know, I love that one and the ball of clay for aptitude, Mm. you know. So the kind of concept of can you plant corn in May? Yes. In bad soil. Yeah. and But you can. It's warm enough and something will grow. But if you wait and you take the time to really cultivate that soil and you plant yours when yours comes, maybe it's a bit later. Will not only catch up, but pass by. Right. I feel like that's one of the most powerful things in all of education, that kind of concept of you can push forward. But at what cost? I know. We see it in lots of ways, don't we? We yes. teach reading too soon. Yes. They do why? much better to have an enhanced vocabulary by ear and then learn to read yes. a year later. But people want them to learn to read 10 words, damn it. Yes. And all that does is delay their ability yeah. to learn words. And, they, you know, I think about, uh, always talking about my kids, what can I do? My oldest kid, he didn't really start speaking until, I guess, what was maybe a little bit later than average. I never knew to be worried about it until, of course, somebody else said to me, you know, oh, he's not talking. You know, are you concerned? Like, should should I be? You know, I wasn't. And I will never forget. I always say his first sentence, we were in Florida waiting for somebody to pick us up under an awning. And he said, he's two. And he's like, do you hear that sound? It sounded like thunder. He came out with full sentences. And that was one of... I think the first thing he ever really said, besides a couple words, but I thought, here what, you know, people were making me worried, and he kind of just was ready when he was ready, and it burst out. That's in the literature, actually. Student children that wait until almost three to start talking frequently start speaking in full sentences, and they tend to be the smarter children. Yeah. Well, look at that. <laughs> That's in the literature. Yeah, and but I think about so that all someone the time. telling like, you and intimidating you with, yes. "Oh my God, your child isn't talking; he's almost three. Right? That's upsetting. That's an ignorant person yes. causing undue stress. And I think I don't think I know this happens to 
everybody in humanity all the time, but certainly to teachers, we're under this tremendous amount of stress, whether it's self-imposed or imposed by an admin or imposed by a colleague. And sometimes I think that crowds out what we know in our minds and our hearts is the right thing to do. So if you're out there listening, do the right thing. We often hear they can, the kids can do something, but should they? Exactly. So yes, they can attempt part singing in first grade, but they shouldn't. They can attempt part singing before 90% sing beautifully in unison, but they shouldn't. Right. They can write a quarter note in first grade or kindergarten if you really help them but why they shouldn't and why should why are you wasting precious time You're, you need to finish organizing the foundation and the security so that they can have an effortless attempt at it rather than struggling through it because they're not adequately fertilized yet john why don't people listen to us more i don't know we have all the answers <laughs> well i mean i have like five good answers <laughs> Just listen to those five good answers. Anyway, okay, so... It's time to add part singing. (laughs) Yes. So let's think of that scenario that I painted for you. So now you have this teacher. She's getting into second grade. And she's like, you know what? The kids are ready for conversational. So fashion, we're going along. And like it's towards the end of second grade. And so now we go to third grade. And you want to start some kind of part singing activity. I would begin, and you notice I, I did this not in the first grade, or level one conversational selfish. I did this in level two yes, conversational selfish to suggest to people don't start this yet until right. you get to book two. Although you could still, a lot of second, third grade children are finishing up book one. So go ahead and start part singing while you're finishing up book one. Wait, can we just talk about what you mean? What it is. You put, yes. What I put what in the second book is baselines. Um, and baselines can have two kinds of baselines. The simplest baselines are ostinatos. So you might find a song that you can go do, 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 so, so, do, do, over and over again. So it becomes an ostinato. A third grade can handle this. This is effortless. So you teach the third grade class, do, 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 so, so, do, do, and they sing it. And when you're sure that they'll be fine, you say, the whole class, do that. I'm going to sing a song while you do that. And then you sing a song while they're doing that, and it's eensy, weensy, spider went up the wall. And they go, oh, my God, wow. <laughs> and because this bass line is the chord roots, do for tonic and so for dominant, it's very easy for them to land on them accurately because they are so they're the pillars of harmony in major so these children have no trouble staying in tune because you're only singing do and so a two note little tune it's it's outlining the harmonic progression and it's fun to do it's fun and the sound is fantastic so you heard me say you teach it to them and then the teacher sings the song while they do that that's it for today don't don't start making it feel like effort so right right now it's effortless Let's come back to the next lesson. Let's do that fun thing we did again last time, remember? And it was so effortless. And then you say to them, what if I divided the class in half? I wonder if this half could do the do-do-do-so and you guys could sing the song. Let's switch parts. And when you're singing and half the class is singing the other part, that's our first harmonic real experience. That's when the nerdiness really bubbles up to the top. All goosebumpy. Yeah. It's because it's in tune. It's part singing in tune because it can be in tune because it's the chord roots and tonic and dominant and they can easily be tuned. Yeah. And they can hear it. And it's so exciting. Yeah. I think when you two row, row, row your boat, kids are like, what is happening? Or this thing with their hands in their ears. uh, Why? (laughs) What is the educational purpose of singing around if you're covering your ears so you don't hear the other parts? It might be unmusical. I am afraid so. (laughs) 
So starting with an ostinato might be the easier one, and then some baseline melodies get a little longer. So that just means musical memory. Can they handle remembering something longer? So it's a slightly bigger challenge now. And if you look through this conversational solfege book two, you'll see some of the baselines are ostinatos and some of them are longer baselines. So pick the ostinato songs first and use them as your opportunity. You also want to get into smaller groups still, because one of our words we use in first steps or in conversation all the time or in fame is one of our primary goals is musical independence. Yes. So 30 years from now, we know they can sing lullabies to their babies. So once I've made them independent of me, now the class is owning the song, half on the bass line and half on the melody. I'd like to take it further. Can I get every other person? So let's count off ones and twos. Ah. All the ones sing the bass line, all the twos sing the melody, switch. Now that's real part singing when the person on each side of you is singing right. something else. And you can do it without holding your ears. And you don't have <laughs> half of the class with another 15 kids feeding the sounds into your ears so you can split second sing off of the strong singers. Right, right, right. When it's one, two, one, two, one, two, you know the students are musically independent to carry that off. Hmm. I wouldn't go on to anything more sophisticated in part singing until they can do that. When you can go one, two, one, two, one, two, and they can do a bass line with a melody, then let's try the next more challenging part singing. Okay. You ready for that one? Let's do it. When, they're, when they can finally do part, bass line melodies and they're longer ones and they're able to do it one, two, one, two, every other person, start to discover, let them start to discover bass line melodies. I call this term discover in that I'll sing a song to them. So I'll go... I had a dog and his name is Rover. He is the one I love the best. When he is good, he is good all over. When he is bad, he is just a pest. And you say to them, now, I'm not going to teach you the bass line. You're going to discover it. it. Yeah. So I'm, how do you discover a bass line? Well, here's how it is. Let's all sing do, and the class goes do. So we're just going to sing do on the beat. Do, 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 do. You keep doing that while I sing the song. At some point, you're going to hear that it doesn't sound good, Switch to so, so, When so, you think that so. is. And so how do you know when to switch? You sing do until it sounds wrong. Right. Then you switch to so and you stay there until it sounds wrong. And then you switch back. So it's that simple. It's sort of, or that, I guess I can handle that. And then the first time they do this, it's going to be terrible. They're not going to choose the right places sure. to switch. So let's try it again. Enough for today. You've tried it a couple times. Let's see how they do on finding baseline. Now, don't jump to this activity of finding baselines until they have already learned several songs with, with the baselines. Yeah, they have to get that so in their ear. Don't say, well, we did one with the baseline that I taught. Now it's your <laughs> now, turn to find, find one. No, I'm talking three months later. Right, and they've right. learned some several songs that you've taught the baseline, and they're singing in harmony. So then you start to do this where they discover the baseline. My next favorite thing is for them to discover that some songs have the same bass lines, I call They share bass lines. And that brings us to the second kind of part singing. And that is when songs share bass lines, they're partner songs. They can be sung at the same time. Partner songs are easy for third and fourth grade kids to do as well. So yes. effortless. Now what it does require, just like before, they have to be able to sing each song beautifully in unison. Right. So you don't want to rush into let's sing two songs at the same time until you're certain they can sing both songs beautifully in unison. Then you can put a part, a bass line, 
The teacher can provide the baseline. A group of kids can provide the baseline. By now, after they've sung a baseline, I like to put them on bass xylophones. So if awesome. I've taught a song with baseline and they can sing it in parts, you know, that's vocal proficiency precedes instrumental applications. So if they have to have the vocal proficiency to sing the baseline before I'll let them play it on an instrument. But now there's a group over here on bass xylophones playing this baseline, and here's group number two singing, I had a dog at his name, and here's group number three singing, Eensy Weensy Spider. Hmm. They have they share the same baseline. So they're part song, partner right. songs. One's in 2-4, one's in 6-8. That doesn't matter. That's polyrhythms, songs that have... Charles. Oh. We're doing high-level stuff. That's right. And it's just the bass line guides us to both of these songs happen at the same time. It's three-part singing, a bass line, a song, and a different song. Hmm. Third grade can handle three-part singing that way. Yeah. All right, let's add a fourth part. Let's do another song. Knock at the door, peek in, pull the latch and walk in. Find the bass line in that they discover it's the same bass line. I always joke, by this point they say to me, do all songs have the same <laughs> bass line? But no, many songs do share the same bass line. So now we can have three songs or four songs at the same time. We can go to a concert and start, we, the, the group uh, has a little bass line going, and then everybody sings a song. There's a little, the bass line keeps going for a little interlude. Everyone sings the second song. Bass line interlude, divide the class. Two songs happening at the same time. Bass line interview, inter, uh, interlude. A third song is presented by the whole group. Now we have the bass line interlude and three songs are happening. And then a fourth song is sung by everybody and right. there's an interlude and then four songs are happening. And then that little ostinato or bass line plays one last time all by itself as a coda. Now, any audience is gonna go wild over this. Audiences, parents, non-music people sure. love to hear that songs can have two different things can be sung at the same time. They think that is the highest achievement ever <laughs> of mankind. A teacher could be banging out parts on the piano for kids to sing in thirds yes. because they've got a concert coming and yes. they want to sing this two-part arrangement where they have to sing in thirds and it's hell for the kids. Right. And it's for the teacher. Total, it's all effort. Yep. It's, no, no, let's try it again. No, no. Here, I'll sing the third with you. And, <laughs> and you sing the third with this group, and then the, and then that group And is... then you perform it at the aud at the concert, and no one really can even tell you're singing in thirds. Yes. You might as well have just sung it in unison. The audience right. and would, saved and yourself a lot of effort. And it would have sounded a whole lot better. But, but to sing two songs at the same time, the audience will appreciate that much more than a song sung in thirds, which is a much simpler thing to prepare and present. So... Partner songs are really a fabulous next step. Baseline melodies, starting with ostinatos and the longer ones, and then songs that share baseline melodies can be sung at the same time. Now we're getting into some pretty sophisticated part singing. If I do three part three partner songs in a baseline, I've got four part singing, and that's possible in third grade yeah. or fourth grade. Well, can I, um, you can tell me after if we should cut this or not, but I just was thinking, I have a concert coming up in like two days or one day two days uh two weeks ago i realized i don't have enough I, I need one more piece you know and i thought oh you know what i'm gonna do the canoe song the my pal yeah yeah and, and um maybe we'll do it as a round you know maybe we'll whatever you know i was just with, like panicking and then i said you know let's Let's learn Land of the Silver Birch. I was just going to say, did you know Land of the Silver yes. Birch is a partner song? And so I said, um, okay, so what we'll do, you know, is we'll do like, we'll sing one and then we'll sing the other and then we'll sing them both. And then I was like, you know what would be nice? Let's play this bass line. Um, let's figure out this bass line with these uh, orf, big, you know, giant xylophones and one metallophone. So we start doing that. 
And then I was like, you know what would be really nice? And, you know, I said, we're going to start with a little drum pattern. Do, do, day, do, do, you know. Then this thing will come and you can sing it. You can play it. Then we'll sing Land of the Silver Birch. Then a little interlude. Exactly. Right? And then my paddle. And then we'll put it all together. Like, I'm getting goosebumps. Okay, so this is what's so funny. I knew it would be okay. I had the teachers. So we're talking two weeks. I mean, can you imagine getting anything ready? in two weeks of like two times I saw the kids. We had the fourth grade teachers come in when they came to pick them up. I said, you know what, let's just, let's do this for the fourth grade teachers. By the end, I'm not kidding, the fourth grade teachers were like in tears. They were like, that is the most amazing, but the kids were like, it was so easy. It's so e- partner songs. <laughs> it's so impressive and so easy. Yeah, and it sounded good. They were so proud of themselves. Oh, adding the timbre of the xylophone and the yeah. little tambourine, yeah. all of that. And at the end, a little, a little ding, ding of the triangle for the last second. And the teachers were, like, oh, later yeah. they were like, that was just beautiful. <laughs> and the kids were like, wow, we really impressed them. And that wasn't really that hard. <laughs> and I said, you know why? Because you're musical. You sound musical. One of the things when people do partner songs is the kids start singing loudly. Mm. And I think a teacher should say to the class, the goal here is can you stay on your part and sing lightly. Yes, sing beautifully. And beautifully. It's not a competition. It's to show how we collaborate. Not I can sing louder than the other part. Yeah, definitely. And that kids naturally default into this. I'm going to have to sing loud to stay on it so they don't distract me. I call it bus singing. (laughs) So I don't know how to get that point across, but it's to sing. You're supposed to hear the other part yes. when you sing, not only hear your part. Yeah, I just tell them it's a. This is a group activity. It is not which one of us can you hear. It's more can we make it sound beautiful can together? Can we hear both? I can't hear the other part. You guys right? are too loud. Right. And I have that a lot in this particular chorus. I have a very powerful. I realized first part, um, and so instead of switching them over, I just started talking to them. Can you kind of hear? when we've lost balance. Yeah, I think balance is important. Partner songs, especially. Okay, so now that we've done partner songs. All right, so there are two more things for harmony that I think are accessible in the elementary school. Um, Rounds and canons and vocal cording. I'm not sure which of the two of those should come first. I think they are equally challenging. Um, And again, there's a spectrum of difficulty. There are easy rounds and there are hard rounds. There are easy vocal cording activities and there are hard vocal cording activities. Uh, Why don't we discuss vocal cording next? Vocal cording is a very cool effect uh, and it's based on bass lines. So we were talking earlier about a group that would hear do, 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 so, so, do, do. At some point, and again, I don't think we are now in third grade anymore, so the things I've spoken about uh, as far as bass lines and partner songs, that's good harmony for third grade, part singing for third grade. Now I'm saying if they have this background, perhaps in fourth grade. So again, developmental, not chronological. You may have to wait longer. So you take the bass line, do, 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 so, so, do, do, and you say, now, do is one member of a family, and the family happens to be called the tonic family. And there are three people that live in the Tonic family. Their names are Do, Me, and So. And you know, like the Von Trapp family singers, when they sing together, it sounds nice? Well, when the Tonic family sings together, it sounds nice. Hmm. So you'd say to, you divide the class in three. You say, this group over here, sing Do, and hold it. This group sing Me, and hold it. And this group sing So, and hold it. Listen. 
and they just built a chord. You can teach them. That's called a chord. We're using our voices. We're going to call that a vocal chord. A vocal chord. Let's try something else. A not vocal chord. Vocal cording is what I call it. <laughs> and up the street, oh, by the way, to the Tonic family lives on Major Street. Mm -hmm. And up the street, five lots up, it, the dominant family moves in. And there are four people in the dominant family. So bossy. Now, so, we've been singing Doe and So. Doe is one of the Tonic family, and So is one of the dominant family. No, but I thought So was in the Tonic family. Well, yeah, though there's Mark Jessup and there's Mark Saunders. So there's two Marks. There's two So's. Well, the So that belongs in the dominant family is one of four. So it's So, and then there's also T, and no, I'm not singing So. I'm singing <laughs> Doe. That's So... T rain I'm in a funny key, but those four people are the dominant family. And you know, the Hanson brothers or the the uh, the the what what are the other brothers? I don't even that's, know what you're talking about. The, the Hanson brothers, the rock singers. Oh my gosh, that's so old. The Jonas brothers. <laughs> the Jonas. The Jonas you know, they're brothers. coming back around. So. Okay. So okay. you know, so I say to the kids, well, you know, when the Jonas brothers sings together, it sounds good. Well, when the dominants sing together, so you sing. So, and hold it, you sing T, and hold it, and you sing Re, and hold it, and you sing Fa. Let's listen. <gasps> and they go, wow, the dominant <laughs> seventh chord, you know? Well, look, the dominance. Do you think the Von Trapp family singers and the Jonas Brothers would sound good if they sang together? Maybe not. Let's find out. Yeah. And so then I go, now you sing Do, and you sing So, and you sing Mi, and you sing Fa, and you sing Re, and you sing T. Now I've got six sounds happening all at once, all the kids holding note, and I go, listen. And they all go, Ugh. And I go, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a good idea for these families to sing at the same time. Let's take turns. So there's one last thing to teach them. And that is that, remember, Tonic lives in the first house on the street. So I have a little way of identifying when I'm talking about the Tonic family, I hold up one finger. That means I'm talking about the people that live in the first house. Hmm. And then when I'm singing the names of the dominant family, I hold up five fingers. Yeah, because it's five lots up. I'm singing the names of the people that live on the dominant Jonas family. Jonas Brothers. And so as, let's just echo some songs, echo some patterns. And I want you to show me with your fingers one or five so you can tell me, oh, right now I'm singing tonic sounds. Oh, right now I'm singing dominant hmm. sounds. Um, these are important for their ears to get adjusted to how these sounds belong together. Because up to now we've just approached tones melodically but now we're going to presenting them in a different direction they have to understand how they can be sung at the same time in families can i can i just interrupt for one second to ask mm -hmm. so at this point if you're trying to sync this up with conversational solfege what unit would you be in or does it that's one of the issues because yeah. i'm now introducing tones to them that they've not studied yet and the teacher can make a choice so you can do that even if you haven't yet come to the... Because the way I'm doing it is step two only. Yeah, it's oral. It's all... I'm telling oral. you the sound, and you're just singing the sound I'm giving you. These are some sounds we'll be studying for literacy sure. next year yeah. or in two years. But right now, I can teach I do that sometimes you. in um, recorder. Sometimes if I have kids who are moving faster, sometimes we're not all the way through unit five, and I just say, we're singing soul. It's just another one that we'll yeah. learn later. We're going we're gonna to learn more about yeah. this. Anyway. So I'm only at step two, which is simply the road stage of introducing... It's pretty much when I'm doing the bass lines in book two, we don't know low so yet for literacy, but I'm teaching it by road at step two. Okay. So they're hearing it in preparation for a tone that they will be learning more about later. Okay. So that I'm doing the same thing in vocal cording. These are some, we're going to be hearing some tones that we haven't studied yet, but here they are. Another reason to wait until at least fourth grade to do this. 
they can handle the unknown mixed in with the known. Sure. So the last thing to do now that I've introduced the families and they know the sounds and how they sound when they're sung together, you assign parts. So I'm going to need four parts. Let's do four. For a song that has a major tonic and dominant chords in it, um, one part's going to be the bass line. So here's my do, 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 so, so, do, do part. I go to the next group. I said, well, you know, we found out tonic families sound good when they sing together. So while this do is singing over here, I want your group to sing me. Whenever I hold up one finger, I want you to sing the sound that belongs to the tonic family. You sing me. And this group over here that is uh, the same group, when it's time for a dominant, I want you to sing fa when I hold up five fingers. So you're going to go between one fingers and five fingers with me, fa, me. Okay. The bass line's going to be do, so, do. Let's go to another part. Um, I could also add, if I want to add another part, oh boy. a fourth part, I can say, let's have this part start on do, but instead of going down to so, let's go down. When I show five, I want you to sing T. Do, T, Do. Now I've got three parts going. Hmm. Do, So, Do, Do, T, Do, Mi, Fa, Mi. And then they're going to add one more part, and that is, didn't we find out that there was someone with the same name in mm. both families? So. So this group over here is just going to stand so the whole time. So if I hold up a one finger or a five finger, you so, just, so, 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 You so, have it easy. So, so, so. <laughs> so let's go back. Remember when the tonic family sang together? Let's do this now. So when I hold up one finger, you're singing do, and you're singing me, and you're singing so. And now I'm holding up five fingers. And now what am I going to hear? I'm going to hear so. I'm going to hear T and re and fa. Let's hear that. All right, let's practice going back and forth. So I show one finger four times. I show five fingers four times. And I just go awesome. back and forth. And that's called vocal cording. It's like strumming a chord on the auto harp. Yeah, it's like you're a giant instrument that I'm playing. It's a giant instrument. Now, grab one more part. So you've got four parts over here doing this. You need a group to sing the song. So here comes one other group over here singing the song. And they already know that the bass line for Eensy Weensy Spider was do, 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 so, so, do, do. But instead of just singing one sound, we can have the whole family sing. So now the whole family is going, me, 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 fa, fa, me, me, or so, 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 right. do, 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 ti, ti, do, do. And out comes five parts singing. Oh, beautiful. And there's one more trick right at the end. If you want to even think about performing this or just for the pleasure of doing it, all those people that are vocal cording, see if they can sing the words of Eensy Weensy Spider on those pitches. So if I was on the me to fa group, I'd be singing... Eensy weensy spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. And all of a sudden, we're singing a choral work in five parts. Yeah. Add the melody to vocal cording, and if everyone's singing the text, no one, no one would be able to tell you you're not singing a choral arrangement. In five right, parts. right. Five it's, parts. And it's going to sound like the Lennon sisters. It's going to make this beautiful harmony, this a cappella, five part, fourth grade. So if you've done the foundation and developmentally they've gone through these other part singing things the year before, you can try vocal cording as the next challenge. Probably the last year or two of elementary school, add vocal cording in. That only leaves rounds and cannons. So you would do all of that maybe before you did cannons, but you're saying you could do either. I think those two are equally challenging. Or at the same time. Or yeah, would you I, do only one or yeah, the other? Do a round this week and continue working on vocal cording next week. Oh, that's good to know. And then rounds and canons, when I wrote the canon book, I identified all of them by difficulty. Yes. There's five levels of difficulty. E for easy, M-E for mod medium easy, M for medium, M-D for medium difficult, and D for difficult. So, of course, your first rounds and canons should be E, easy. Yes. 
Is there something, uh, I don't know if I'm just making this up, in the new edition of the third level of Conversational Soulfish that has partner songs, like all the partner songs listed? Or yes. am I? Yeah. Yes, uh, there are many uh, in book two, Conversational Soulfish. Oh, okay. There are many songs that share the same oh, baseline right. melody, but I didn't include you didn't say the what list they were. in the book. I do have that written up, and I think I've sent it to the Facebook page. If not, I'll be happy to send it to you. So it's not um, in print. It's, it's not-, not in the book. Okay. But it is a list I made of all the songs in book two that can be sung together Maybe as part of the Maybe we can put that on the Fame website for members. Or with this podcast. Yeah. Or for members. Or for members because- only. Let me ask you a question. Are you a fame member? And if not, why not? You can have this list. This partner song <laughs> list from book two. But in book three, I actually put that information in the back of the book. Oh, that's what I, I'm saying. So you did put it in print In somewhere. book three, those are different songs. So oh, I thought you did it for all the songs. I didn't. I only did it for the songs in book three. A trickster. So in the back of the book, there's an appendix, and all the songs are analyzed harmonically. The entire book is analyzed Boy. harmonically. And I put all, I grouped together the harmonic analysis by those that have the same bass lines. So you can see these 12 songs all have the same bass line, could be partner songs. And then sometimes there's a bass line with just one song. That means I don't have any other that shares that bass line. But there's a harmonic analysis of all the songs in the back of Conversational Book 3. So now, let's say you did decide to start with the vocal cording. And, and whether you're doing it at the same time or after, you want to do canons proper some rounds and canons and we're back to the uh the helen kemp statement it's much more important to sing beautifully in unison than badly in parts if you wish a group to sing a round or a canon at any age you have to make sure they're secure singing it in unison so there's no rush trust me children will not be ready to sing any song as a round or canon the same day you teach it to them Yes. So no teacher should think today I'm going to teach row, when row, I hear row your people boat, do and we're that, going to do the round I think today. It's crazy. No, it takes it takes time and repetition, and it needs to settle in and become secure. And you need to fix all the little rough spots and insecure spots sure. because you can't do a round in a canon musically until ev- most of the students own this song. Yeah, it's really implanted in their inner hearing. So I have this little procedure for teaching rounds and canons that I use. I tried to make these procedures. They're not in blood. (laughs) They are simply recommendations, and you will have to decide whether to do more or less. These are more negotiables. They are a little bit more... (laughs) I think the procedure is not negotiable, but how long you stay at each part of the procedure Uh, is negotiable. The first thing I think that should be done is the song should be learned in unison. And there's no rush. It's much more beautiful to sing in unison than badly in parts. So stay at the unison stage for one or two or more lessons. Do what you got to do. Stay at the unison stage. When you think that you're ready to branch out, you do something similar to what I did with the baseline melodies. At first, you ask the class to sing the song again because they can do it. And you sing it as a round to them. This is harder than it sounds because a teacher naturally is assessing what they're hearing and you're singing in round or canon, your brain has to be in two places at once because you're not only singing the song for yourself, for the class to hear, you also are discovering whether or not it has affected the accuracy of what they're singing. So you do have to get your brain, it's harder than it sounds. For them, they're just singing the song, but the teacher has to be cognizant of what's happening once the teacher starts singing in round to the class okay. to be able to do an accurate assessment. I would stay there for a day or two, a lesson or two, um, and it, yay, now they can do that. 
Next lesson, come back, let's remind you of the song, let me sing it in round canon with you and see if you can stay in the part. I think you're ready to try it in two parts. So ne never care about whether a round or a canon has three, four, or five parts. The first time, it's a two-part round. It's just a two-part right. round. So let's see if half, and that's when you're supporting each other again. You know, So half of you on this side of the room, I, I've done in my classroom where you 12 come and get in a circle and face each other. You 12 come and get in a circle and face each other. So they're all singing at each other's face. Hmm. And that helps them stay on their part, depending on how much of that is necessary. So once they can handle this as two-part singing, and again, the goal is not a competition. The goal is you should be able to sing your part and hear the other part at the same time. You have to listen for, am I louder or softer than the other part, and balance. Mm -hmm. That's something they have to be taught. Artful. So, and so it's artful, <laughs> of course. I'd leave it at that for the day as well. So you, when I'm teaching something like a rounder, can I don't put it in today's lesson to get to the final product. I put it in several lessons as stages of improvement. Now let's try something harder. Now let's try something harder. And let's try something harder. So we're already three or four or five lessons into this rounder canon. And I only have them in two parts. The next step could be the one, two, one, two, one, two thing again. Right. So we know that they can sing it when other... 11 people are helping them. And it's like somebody's on either side of you singing something different. So if you're a one, two, one, two, and someone's on each side of you singing something different, can you still stay on your part? Mm. Finally, if they can do that, now let's go to the real deal. So if it's a three-part canon, let's try it in three parts. If it's a four-part canon, let's try it in four parts. Five-part canon, let's try it in five parts. Um, and then we finally have done it. But I'm saying, you can hear, it's going to be a four, five, or six lesson process to get to that point, but it will be effortless this way. And okay. we're not just asking them to struggle through something that they're not ready for. The other thing that can happen, because we talked about rounds and canons sometimes end together, and sometimes they don't end together. All right. When you first start this with rounds and canons and you want them to end together, you're going to have to teach them how to do that. Yeah, so I have how do a you do that? I, how do you do that? So I have a little technique. Then I tell them, I'm going to hold up a finger, and that means when you get to the end of the phrase you're on, you're going to hold the note. So let's take a rounder or a canon that we might use that would um, sing me another before we depart. Sing to the praise of our musical art. Sing, 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 sing. Do, 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 so, 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 do. So I'll hold up my finger, let's say, after the second line. Sing me another before we depart. My finger goes up. Sing to the praise of our musical. And that means that you're going to hold the note at the end of the phrase. Ah. Musical art. Now, try that with fourth grade. Here's what will happen. You put your finger up and you want them to hold the word art. And they go, musical art. Yeah. And you're standing there holding your finger up going, uh, point to your finger. Yeah. What's this finger for? I'm supposed to be holding the note. Are you holding the note? No. So this is something that's very hard for yes. children to learn, to sustain a tone. And that had, that's a whole lesson in itself, how to hold a tone. So you try it at the end of different phrases. Now let's try it. I'm going to trick you again. So you sing the song. I'm gonna say, you tell them, I'm going to sing the song three or four times. So surprise them. Hold your finger up one time on the third phrase. Hold it up on the first phrase. Hold it up on the fourth phrase. Hold it up. See if they can do that. Right. Now we've already sung it in two parts. And we've practiced holding the last note at the end of several phrases. Let's try it in two parts where I hold my finger on the last phrase. So somehow one group is going to stop somewhere in the middle of the song, and one group will probably end on the last note of the song. Then you carry that one step further. Let, now let's do it in three parts. Now let's do it in four parts. So if you want a canon or a round that's sung in three or four parts and you hold the last tone, you've got to add that teaching how to hold a tone yeah. into the process. And it's tedious. 
It's a little tedious, but it can be fun if you laugh and smile. <laughs> and plus, it's it kind of reminds me of when you're teaching, um, like in preschool or kindergarten, you know, never sing with the class or always sing for, sing for the, the class, class not, not with, with the, the class. class. It can be tedious in the beginning to get them to stop doing that, but it pays off in spades once you kind of get through that part. Okay, so let's just do a quick review. Soup to nuts. You have kids, you're doing first steps in music. Now you feel like 90% of them, tuneful, beautiful, and artful. Next step. Baseline. You could be- But if you're in second grade, like many people will be, just singing. Just beautiful. Yeah, keep, yeah, keep the focus yeah. on beautiful unison singing. Yeah. And let's say for this example, this does not mean all the time like this, but third grade you feel like, yeah, these kids are foundationally independent. They can sing beautifully in unison. It's time to do bass lines. Bass lines, which are in Conversational Sofish book two. Mm-hmm. So, units five and up. Five and up. I mean five and, and up. If a teacher is not two unit five yet, but they feel they're, you know, we, we're a little behind on our literacy, but my kids are certainly could handle baseline singing, then go ahead and start doing some baseline singing while you're still in book one. But okay. Again, developmental, not chronological. And then after that, we're doing, let's listen to these bass lines. Let's see if you can discover yes. bass lines. Discover. I'll sing a song and all you have to do is sing do until it sounds wrong. Then switch to so until it sounds wrong. That's how you find a bass line. And then in that process, you're going from gro- group group to smaller groups to yes. ones. And, and I did skip over the real small groups, but that certainly is an appropriate thing. Sure. From half and half, why not five on a part? And then yes. three on a part, and then one on a part. Okay. So now that you feel like they've mastered that, then we move to partner songs, yes? Yes, because from the bass lines, it's an easy one to find out, as, especially when they're finding the bass lines. And you say, now find the bass line for this one. And you, I love the look on their face when you say, notice anything? <laughs> and one by one, they start going, they're the same. Mm-hmm. Well, they are the same. So you know that that means we can sing the songs at the same time. They're called partner songs. Shiny eyes again. <laughs> You're like, wow, magic. Right. Partner songs are magic. So you go through partner songs and you're kind of building that empire. And now we're up to three parts singing at least. Right. Because we have a bass line and two songs. Or a bass line and three songs. We've got four parts singing. Okay. And now that they do really well there. They're ready for probably either rounds and cannons or vocal cording. Because both of those are going to take three or four parts also. Which one would you do, John Firehubbin? I probably would do some easy rounds. I would look okay. in my book for which are the rounds that are easy. Because we've got to teach this thing about holding this note. Because I like it, the cadences to have a full chord. Sure. And I think we're going to take some time to make sure that, that we learn how to do that before we get into vocal cording. Okay. Vocal cording also requires you to hold tones. So why not get this hold the tone concept right. down so with the cadence first? So you can start with that. That's probably what you would do, but if you wanted to start with vocal cording, it's I. The more we're sitting here talking, because <laughs> I knew I'd because you there are difficulties that you can choose from in rounds and cannons, and there are easy ones. I think the easy rounds and cannons are easier than vocal cording. Okay. So I so guess I would easy rounds there. and cannons. Yeah, and then vocal cording with the medium rounds and cannons, or the medium easy rounds okay. and cannons. And then. Whatever. By that time, they're going to go off to middle school and yep. they're going to be reading choral music, yep. singing in parts. But Welcome to Octavo Land. They will be ready for their <laughs> Octavo Land. Um, and 
I am hoping this is a little secret. Among other things to look for in the future will be the Feyerabend line of choral music for elementary school. Whoa, that bomb just dropped right here on the Tuneful Beautiful Artful Music Teacher podcast. This just dropped. That's a special sneak preview. Um, And the goal is not to write pieces for auditioned choirs, but to write pieces that the fourth grade class can sing. Holy cow. We're going to write I'm ready to buy them right now. The requirement is it must be accessible and effortless, Mm. but it is going to be part singing octavos. And I'm going to hire and ask some of my favorite people to compose. Susan Brumfeld, Peter Amidon. Wow. Frank Gallo, perhaps Jeremy Strong. <laughs> so we're, um, I just had my ma- my annual meeting at GIA this past publisher. weekend. And we talked about this in the past, but we finalized it this weekend. <gasps> yes. So we're going forward, and this year I will be gathering up a group to get our first set of uh, choral octavos out that are f- accessible for, for non-auditioned children to sing, elementary classroom to do, and so of course choirs can do it because they will be accessible and sure. easy, which means they'll probably have a better chance of singing in tune, mm-hmm. and they will be less effortful to learn because sure. they are going to be written with the purpose of being easily accessible. What do you know? Fast to learn choral octavos. That's what these will be. Fast to learn. Interesting. Do you have any idea when? One might be able to purchase these ish. If, if all goes well, we'll have them in time for the Fame Conference next summer. Oh, Philly 2020. Philly 2020. And that's where the Improv and Harmony book will be premiered also. We're going to premiere it at the Fame Conference. You guys have to be there. July something. 17, 18? I'm not <laughs> sure. Don't take me on that. This is bad. Sometime in July. We we are not on the committee officially, so I can't say. July, mid-July. Well, check the Facebook page. You know where you could look? When you become a member, you could start to find out in the newsletters. And if you're not a member. Yeah. Why not? Really, why do I need to spoon feed you everything? You can go find out yourself. By the way, that was my line when I had to teach clarinet in my first years. When I didn't really know the answer and a kid would say something, I'd be like, well, look in your book. That's what your book is for because what do you do when I'm not there? As I'm frantically looking through my book. <laughs> because I don't know anything about clarinet, really. Um... Well, Dr. Feyerabend, again, always something new and exciting. Yeah, excellent. Every time we do a podcast, my brain is reshuffling the order of debuting the podcast. And I wish I could, I know what you're saying out there, but I can't do it. But I wish I could just debut them all at the same time so you could <laughs> binge listen to all of them. Like Netflix, releasing right. the whole yes, season exactly. at once. But if I had a Netflix, you know, uh, group of people working for me and we were getting paid to do that i'm sure we could get all the podcasts out at once but this is like a mom and pop thing right now so. it's very professional oh, and i, that's I hope the people Jeremy out there Strong. know that missy does this all on a volunteer basis <laughs> and jeremy strong thank you jeremy strong and jeremy strong he so is, we are all enormously grateful is, for is. all you give to fame listen to, to share to be a lot so we're able to share this information i'm glad i can draw this out of you like i said it's like harry potter i'm pulling these memories out of you these just thoughts. as long as you're not a dementor no i am in me. a way i am like a dementor pulling the life out of me. <laughs> 
Anyway, thank you so much. Let's get ready to folk dance. All right. At the Heimbach Hoedown, which you guys should come to next Memorial Day. Next Memorial Day weekend, be in Blue Island, yeah. Illinois. Maybe I'll interview you for a podcast if you're here. Get you. the teacher on the street view. I mean, literally, teachers on the street <laughs> folk dancing. Anyway, uh, thank you, Dr. Fire. My pleasure. So what did you think? Did you find yourself shaking your head in agreement with John's suggestion to start more simply when it comes to getting your elementary kids to sing in harmony? Or do you think that's unnecessary and it's reasonable to start rounds in second grade? I would love to hear your thoughts. So as always, I invite you to discuss and debate on our Tuneful Beatful Artful Music Teacher Facebook page or our Instagram or Twitter accounts. This week's Ask Me Anything comes from one of my most favorite music ed boss ladies, Amy Burns from right here in New Jersey. She asked, are there books that you recommend to help promote Arioso? I love La 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 and it worked beautifully with my pre-K. Ah, what a great question. Books are a fantastic way to get your littles creating spontaneous original tunes, which is what Arioso in the First Steps workout is all about, if you're wondering. You can use books with easy words to make this process easier on your younger kids. They won't have to yet worry about creating tune and words, but rather just an original tune to something that they've either read before uh, and are familiar with, or they're reading because it's not very difficult for them to read. So really, many classic or modern children's books that you love uh, can serve this purpose. A lot of you know that I love any Herald and the Purple Crayon book. So for me, these are good because they're easy to read. And as Anne Shirley loved to say, they provide great scope for the imagination. So I like to use those books. There are wonderful board books like a small one called Andy Warhol's Colors, which I and my students absolutely love. Another one in that same vein is Matisse, Dance with Joy. And of course, I'm a big fan of Eric Carle books like Brown Bear, Brown Bear, which have easy rhyming schemes and not too many words. There's a beautiful book called Quiet by Tommy DePaola. I also really like the Narwhal and Jelly books, I will admit, because I just like a narwhal. They are fun and easy to read, and they're kind of like a little play that you can have between two students. When it gets to books with more text, which I might use with older students, and by older, of course, I'm speaking relatively like maybe first grade, late first grade, um, you don't want them to have a lot of text, but there are books like The Snowy Day, a favorite of mine, Creepy Carrots, or Sneezy the Snowman, and of course, one of my absolute childhood favorites, Amelia Bedelia. I might give each kid who's doing Arioso that week, maybe like one or two pages and pass it around. But really, when you're thinking about Arioso, just look at the books that you already love and assess if either there's a good rhyme scheme or limited prose and a wonderful, delicious story and use those to help. Maybe another time I'll share about wordless books that can be really fantastic when your kids get to the point in Arioso when they're at the highest level of music thinking, which is creating original tunes and text. Thanks for that question, Amy. I'm going to keep thinking about books I love, which is just going to make me buy more books that I love. Well, it's that time again. The Tuneful Beatful Artful Music Teacher Podcast is generously supported by the Feyerabend Association for Music Education. 
please consider becoming a member of FAME because we keep growing our body of benefits for members. Like I just posted uh, a baby move it, which is really fun. Uh, Visit fireabidmusic.org for more information. If you have questions you would like me to answer on future episodes or ideas for interview topics or just general questions, please email the podcast at tunefulbeatfulartfulpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Fireobin and his programs and resources, visit giamusic.com slash fireobin. Thank you everyone so much for listening. I really hope it encouraged you, it made you think, and it was helpful. Tune in for our next episode, and until then, keep doing everything you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world. <laughs>